0: Sound familiar? Anybody have that problem? Can I I just be honest? I do. I can relate to Frodo. And I know, by the way, I'm in good company. Because I I can tell you something that's true about every one of us in this room. You may love Jesus. You may know Jesus. You may have a relationship with Jesus. You may be a true believer in Jesus. But there's one thing I know that's true about you. It's true about me. We still sin. In fact, we probably still sin every single day, and what's so frustrating is we know as believers in Christ, we know as a Christian, we've got the power to overcome sin, but at times, sin still overcomes us. Now, let me give you a little secret, in case you don't know this. Unbelievers sin. And that shouldn't surprise us, right? You know, I don't know why Christians get upset at unbelievers when they act like unbelievers. You should expect an unbeliever to act like an unbeliever. Unbelievers sin. But I want to give you a little bigger secret, okay? If you didn't know this, so do Christians. Christians sin too, believers sin too, Christ followers sin too. But here's the problem if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, sin is not liberating, sin is frustrating. Deep, deep down, as one of the ways you can know that you're a believer is deep down, you don't want to sin because we know this. We know that Jesus did not just die to save us from sin, but away from sin. He didn't die to save us just from sin, but not to sin. So we know we ought to do what's right, but sometimes we don't do it. We, we, we know we shouldn't do what's wrong, but sometimes we do it anyway. So the question is, what do you do? What do you do with this battle that's going on in your mind when you don't do what you ought to do and you do what you know you should not do? What is the answer? Well, the answer is very simple. It's found in one word. It's a word that we've been talking about at infinitum week after week after week, and that word is grace. If you're a guest of ours today, we're in a series that we're calling Real, R-E-E-L, grace. It's based on the book of Romans because when you read the book of Romans, with a little imagination, you can see it doesn't just read like a book. It looks like a movie because it's got every element that a movie needs. It's got a director. His name is a, is Paul. He's an apostle. It's got a great setting. It's the world. Wonderful supporting cast. You and me, we're in this book. It has a, a great plot. It's called grace. It has a villain called sin. It has a hero named Jesus so we've been kind of watching this movie roll out beginning all the way back in chapter one and at this point in the movie we've already learned that when you give your life to Jesus Christ he gives us the power to say no to sin we learned last week you have the ability and you have the power the divine ability and power to tell sin to back off to back down sin no longer has to boss us around but sometimes it still does and that's where the problem comes. That's where the frustration sets in because we still struggle with sin. Now I started in this message, I started to say, if you struggle with sin, raise your hand. I did not do that because, then, because some of you would not do that. And then you would let us know you struggle with lying. So I said, there's no need to even try, okay? Because I know we all struggle with sin, all of us do. And in one of the most famous and fascinating chapters in the Bible, There's a Christian named Paul, and he outlines his own struggle that he had with sin, and he sets up the solution. Now, he's going to tell us something immediately that's very, very surprising. He's going to let us know that we think sometimes that the remedy to disobeying God's law, which is sin... It's simply trying harder to keep the law. That's what most people think. Well, I'm not doing what I ought to do, so I'll try harder to do the right thing. Or I do what I ought not to do, so I'll try harder not to do the wrong thing. And what Paul tells us is this. If you think you're going to solve your struggle by just trying to obey the law better or trying to keep the commandments in a more consistent way, he says, I've got news for you. Not only does the law of God not solve the problem, it actually intensifies the problem. It actually aggravates the problem. let me tell you, here's, here's the situation. If, let's just, this is a hypothetical. Let's just say I could keep the law perfectly. Let's just say you could keep the law perfectly. Then at least in theory, we could get right with God, we would be right with God, and we could stay right with God in theory. But here's what we know in practice. No one except Jesus has ever kept the law perfectly. Nobody does keep the law perfectly. Nobody ever will keep the law perfectly. So we keep coming back to this question. Okay, how can I maintain a righteousness before God? How can I be right with God, get right with God, and stay right with God? Because the problem is, as a Christian, even though we know we have the righteousness of God, there are still times in our lives we don't act right. There are still times in our life we don't talk right. There are still times in our life we don't think right. There are still times in our lives we don't do right, even though we know we've got God living in us. So this question comes up, and I'm probably you probably have asked yourself this time after time after time. Is there any hope? Can somebody help me? Can I ever get to the point where I'm living in consistent victory in my life? And Paul, who empathizes and sympathizes with you and me, gives an emphatic yes in the chapter we're going to look at today. He says there absolutely is. Now, where we are in the movie, if you imagine we're watching this on the screen, here's where we are in the movie. We now have come to this act in the movie, and there are three scenes in the movie, all right? The first scene is good news. The second scene is bad news. And the third scene is the best news. All right? So we're in Romans chapter 7. And if you didn't bring a copy of God's Word or don't have an iPad or a smartphone or whatever, well, first of all, if you don't have an iPad or a smartphone, get with it. Okay? But in case you don't, we're going to throw the verses up on the screen. Now, let me tell you, first of all, the bad uh, the good news. Okay, here's the good news. I am dead to the mastery of the law. I am dead to the mastery of the law. Now, we're in Romans chapter 7. We're going to start off. Let me just tell you what Paul does. Paul, again, is going to shock the system, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Paul is going to shock the system because he's going to let us know, if you think the way to get right with God is just try to be the best person you know how to be, if you think the way to have a relationship with God, keep the law, obey the commandments, try to do right, try to do your best, if that's what you think, he says, let me give you an analogy. So we're in verse 1, beginning in Romans 7. He says, do you not know, brothers and sisters... For I'm speaking to those who know the law, that is the law of God, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. Then he gives an example. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Now, three times in that passage, you probably missed it, but three times in that passage, Paul keeps talking about being freed from the law, being released from the law. We're no longer under the law because of death. And he gives the example of marriage. So here's here's the example he gives. It's real easy. He says, look, a marriage officially, at least in God's eyes, a marriage ends at death. That's why we always say in our vows, till death do you part. So Paul says, look, when a husband dies... At the moment that a husband dies, a woman is no longer a wife. A woman is now a widow. And so she is free from the law against divorce. She can't get divorced. He's dead. She is free from the law against adultery if she marries another man because she is no longer married. Paul says, likewise, when we give our life to Jesus, when we trust him as our Lord and our Savior, we are dead to the law in the sense of having to obey it to be right with God and stay right with God. We are no longer under law. We learned that last week. We are under what? We're under grace. We're not under law. We're under grace. Now, the great news is, because we're going to see this in a moment, the law illuminates sin, but it cannot eliminate sin. The law will show us what what's right, but it's powerless to help us do what's right. And this is where we misunderstand what the law really does. You say, well, now, let me ask a question. Is it the law God's will for us? yes. Doesn't God want us to obey the law? Yes. Well, doesn't the law show what godliness looks like? Yes. But here's the problem. The law will show us what godliness looks like, but the law can't make you godly. That's the rub. As a matter of fact, Paul goes on to say, that's not even why the law was given to begin with. So he says this in verse 5. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, that is, what we were or what we could be without Christ... The sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. Now what was Paul saying? We've said this before. Here's what the law does. The law does two things. Number one, it exposes our sins. It shows us what's right. It shows us what's wrong. And why does the law do that? Because the law wants you to know when you're doing right and when you're doing wrong. So you're driving down the highway. We've used this many times before. You're doing 55 miles an hour, and you pass the speed limit sign, and you're doing 55, and you look down, and you're doing 80, okay? Well, there's one thing you know. There's no question about it. You don't have to be confused about it. You're breaking the law. That's what The the, the speed limit does not make you obey the law. It just lets you know when you're obeying it and when you're not. So the law... exposes our sin, lets us know we are our sinners. That's the first thing it does. Then it exposes our sinfulness. It actually increases our desire to disobey it. Now, I'm, again, I've tried to prove this to you over and over. I'm going to give you one other, uh, a real life example. All right, I'm going to be very transparent here. Have you ever walked by a bench or a wall or a door and it had this sign painted on it? Red paint, don't touch. You know what I do 100% of the time? (laughs) I touch it. I tap it. Now, why do I do that? I just have to see for myself. You could take that same wall, that same door, that same bench. If there's no sign on it, I don't even pay attention to it. I don't even look at it. Don't even think about it. But you put a sign in there, red paint, don't touch. I'm going to touch it. I'm going to find out, is it real or not? See, That's what the law does. The law doesn't just tell us what's right and what's wrong. The law reveals our desire to disobey it because you know what? That's just our nature. So, Paul goes on to say this in verse 7 What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Now, this is important because you might think, well, then the law is a bad thing. Paul says, Oh, no, no, the law is not a bad thing. It's not sinful, certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. But let me just stop. Paul said, look, I would have never known what's right and what's wrong if I didn't know what the law says about what's right and what's wrong. So that's a good thing. For I would not have known what coveting, this is a good example that he uses. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet but sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting for apart from the law, sin was dead. Now, what is Paul saying? Let me give you an illustration. This will help put it, get in your mind what he's talking about with the law. One of the greatest inventions in medical science is the MRI some of you in this room have had an MRI. It's an unbelievably fantastic machine because an MRI can pretty much probe practically every inch of you and it can find if there's something wrong inside of you that otherwise would have never been known. One of the reasons why I'm thankful for technology and MRI is I know for a fact that the MRI has been a life-saving machine because there are people who had a cancer, for example, inside of them that would have killed them had they found out about it too late, but the MRI revealed it and was able to be taken out and they lived. Now, let me ask you a question. You go and have an MRI and you come out and the doctor says, Hey, you've got a cancer inside of your body. You've got an illness inside of your body. Simple question. So is the MRI to blame for that disease? You say, well, well, no. Well, what did the MRI do? It just revealed the disease. And what Paul is saying is the law doesn't create sin in us. It just reveals the sin in us. And then he gives this great example. He gives, he said, let's talk about coveting. Now, let me tell you why this is. I think Paul is brilliant in using coveting. See, there, there are people right now, I promise you, you're, you're here or, 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 or you're, you're watching online or you're watching by TV right now. And you're sitting there and you're just not buying what I'm selling. You're saying, Look, I, I'm sorry, but I just think I'm a pretty good guy. I, I just think God's pretty happy the way I am, just as I am. And I, I, I think I'm a good law keeper. I think I do a pretty good job of keeping the commandments. I, I just don't think I'm a big law breaker at all. Well, I, I, I want you to remember the next time you covet something somebody else has, you're a law breaker. You just broke the law. The blue lights of God are going off right behind your windshield. You're gonna get pulled over. You know, let, me give you an ex- and let me tell you how this works. This is why Paul used such a great example. I got a buddy here, I think he's supposed to be here at 9.15, I, I play golf with a buddy in our church. His name's David. Now, David doesn't know what I'm gonna tell you and you wouldn't know it if you walked up on us. Every time I play with David, I sin. Every time, every time I sin, I absolutely break the law. So how do you do that? Well, here's how. David is one of the best golfers I know. One of the best golfers I've. He's a scratch golfer. I mean, the guy can hit the ball a country mile. He has a great short game. He's a fantastic putter. And he is just an outstanding golfer. Every time we play together, and I can't help myself, I find myself wishing that I had his golf swing and wishing he had mine. Every time. Now you could, walk up, you could walk up on the two of us playing golf and you'd look at me and you'd say, now isn't, isn't that great? Look at the pastor. He's just out here enjoying God's fresh air. He's out here enjoying this beautiful golf course. He's out here having fellowship with this brother and ministering to this brother. By the way, this brother's a sick, he's psychologically sick. He needs help. So I'm out there, you know, I'm just teasing. But, you know, I'm out there and I'm, I'm ministering about, you think, you know, you just think, man, our pastor, what a godly man he is on this golf course. I'm not, I'm a lousy coveter. I'm out there wishing I wish his ball was in the water and my ball was on the green. I mean, that's what I am. And what Paul is saying is the law tries to regulate good behavior, but it winds up stimulating bad behavior. But the problem is not the law. The law is not sinful. The law is just doing its job. The law shows us, as a matter of fact, here's what the law does Paul says if you'll pay attention to what the law says you ought to do and the way you really live, what the law does is point out the way to God is not your goodness. The way to God is his grace. You'll never get there by keeping the law. You'll never get there by trying to be the best person you can. So here is the good news. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we're dead to the law. We no longer have to rely on the law, rely on our obedience to the law, rely on our keeping the commandments in order to be right with God and get right with God. Okay, that is the good news. Scene two, that's the bad news. Because not only am I dead to the mastery of the law, but I still deal with the misery of sin. Now, this is where we're going to get a little bit deep. Just stay with me. Here, here's, what, here's what Paul is saying. He says, look, this is just, and he's having this struggle too. Okay, let me get this straight. If, if, if I'm dead to the law, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm dead to the law, and the law actually reveals my desire to disobey it, yes, it does. As a matter of fact, the law stimulates my desire to disobey it, yeah. Well, if I'm dead to the law, why do I still struggle with sin? Why why is there still a civil war going on inside of me? Why is it pastor? Why do I say yes to God one minute and no to God the next minute? Why does my spirit tell me to do something, but my body won't cooperate? Why does my, my spirit tell me not to think something, but my mind will not cooperate? Why does my body seem like to have a mind seems like it, it has a mind of its own? It's because it does. Your body does have a mind of its own. Now, before I get into this, let me give you some encouragement here. Up until now... Paul has been writing in the past tense. You, if you go back and read, you'll see he's been writing in the past tense. He was talking about his life before he met Jesus. He's been talking about what his life was like to be under the law and not grace. He was talking about, this is what my life was like when I thought I could be good enough for God, when I thought my best would be good enough, when I thought all I've got to do is obey the law, keep the commandments, go to church, pay my tithe, you know, do my deal, and then God will be, you know, we will be good to go with God. And I was miserable because I knew deep down. All I was was a big lawbreaker. But now he changes tenses. He leaves the past tense and now he goes to the present tense. So what we're about to read, this is what Paul was experiencing in the moment that he wrote these words. So now we go down to verse 15. This will be very familiar to the way many of us uh, live our lives. He says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do but what I hate to do, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is a, it is sin living in me. For I know good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing now. If I do... What I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, it is sin living in me that does it. Now listen to what Paul is saying, because this is right where so many of us live every day, and it's so very frustrating. Paul is dealing with a struggle that is going on in his own life as he's writing these words. Paul is in spiritual combat even as he's writing these words. Now you say, well, wait a minute, I thought you said this was an encouragement. Well, it is an encouragement. You say, well, how's that encouragement? Now think about this. (laughs) What was Paul doing when he wrote these words? He was writing a book in the Bible. Here's a guy under the inspiration and the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit of God... While he's writing the book, he's saying, I am struggling with sin. I am in spiritual combat. So if you're one of these believers like I am right now, and you say, boy, pastor, there are times in my life I struggle with sin, maybe it's consistently, maybe it's intermittently, don't get too discouraged. Be encouraged. And and, and let me tell you why. See, here's what happens to a lot of us. We're in this struggle with sin, We're in this battle with sin. Sometimes we lose more often than than we win, and this thought will come into our mind. Well, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I don't know the Lord. Maybe I'm really not a real Christian. Because if I was a real Christian, why would I keep battling with sin? And, and, And what Paul is showing us is just the opposite may be true. Listen, when you're in the battle, and you're still unloading your clip, You're still firing your shots. You're still battling and you're still fighting and you refuse to wave the white flag of surrender that's when you can know you're growing in your faith. That's when you can know, I know I have Christ in my life because if I didn't have Christ in my life, I would have always already laid my gun down a long time ago. In fact, I would have never even picked it up. I would still be waving the white flag of the surrender. The reason why you keep battling and the reason why you're frustrated and the reason why you're not pleased with the way you live when you don't live the way you should is because the Spirit of God is working in you. And Paul describes the struggle Perfectly. So let me just repeat it one more time. You can relate to it. I have the desire to do what's good. I can't carry it out. There were people who intended and who really made up their mind last night. They were going to come to church today. They're not here. They're still asleep. And they're going to sleep till lunch. They had a desire to do what was good. Couldn't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. You, you know, if those of you who know me know, the only thing I hate as bad as Satan and sin are the Florida Gators. Hate them. And I know I ought to shut up about the Florida Gators. I know I ought to back off, and I know I shouldn't criticize them anymore. I can't help myself. I just, I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Paul is saying, look, don't don't be too hard on yourself. It's not that you're incapable of doing anything right. That's not what Paul's saying. What he's saying is we're often incapable of doing everything right. And there are times in our lives, and just see if this is not true. Are there times in your life when you find that your desire to obey is greater than your ability to obey? Can, can I just get a hand raised on that? Do you understand what I'm talking you, you want to do the right thing. You really, really want to do the right thing. You just can't seem to get there. Or you don't want to do the wrong thing. You just can't seem to get there. Dennis the Menace disobeyed his mom one time. And she put him uh, in, in time out. And so she set him down in the chair and he's facing the wall. She's about to walk out of the room. And he turned around, looked at his mom, and he said, Mom, you know what my problem is. She said, What? He said, Mom, it's not that I'm good at being bad. It's just that I'm just bad at being good. Now, that really is the problem. So we keep asking ourselves, okay, why can't I always keep the commandments? You know, go back to golf for a minute. You know, I hit. A, we've all hit. If you're a golfer, you can relate to this. You hit a great shot. You mean you hit, you hit that seven iron? It goes 170 yards. You're two feet from the pin. When I do that, you know what I ask myself so many times. Why can't I do that every time? Why can't I hit that shot every single time? And so we find ourselves asking, why can't I always obey the commandments? Why can't I always keep the law? What's wrong with me? All right, listen, here's what Paul's telling us. The problem is not you. And the problem is not me. The problem is the sinful nature and the sin that still lives in you and me. Sin still attacks us. And the first strategy of sin is to deceive us. So go back to verse 11 and listen to what Paul says. He says, for sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment, put me to death. Now this is so important, don't miss this. The reason why we continue to sin it's the same way that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden to begin with It's just a pattern repeated over and over and over. Sin deceives us. Okay, how does sin deceive us? Real easy. Sin always over promises and always under delivers. Always. Sin always over promises and sin always under delivers. Here's what sin will do. Sin will come into your ear and sin will tell you, You can do this. You can get away with this. Nobody will ever know this. And you'll feel good if you do this. But if you're a believer and you have a healthy conscience, the moment you do it, the law comes comes back. The law comes, the blue lights come on. And the law says, you shouldn't have done that. You can't do that. You didn't get away with it, and you don't even feel good about it. Paul says that's exactly the way sin operates. So let me just stop right here. Let me kind of summarize where I am, where I am at this point. Let me show you how the law and how sin and how God operates. This would be a good thing to write down maybe in your Bible or somewhere. Taking it. If, you, if you take notes, this would be a good thing to write down. The law demands Goodness. All right, I don't, I don't even need to explain that, right? When God gave the Ten Commandments, they weren't Ten Suggestions, they weren't Ten, you know, uh, Options, they weren't Ten Choices. They're commandments. God says, Do these things, don't do these things. The law demands goodness, sin brings guilt. So the law demands goodness, but we already seen what the law demands, the law cannot make us do, right? The law can say it wants us to do it. The law can command us to do it, but the law really can't make us do it. Sin comes along, takes advantage of us, deceives us. We do what the law tells us not to do, then we feel guilt. God comes along and God gives grace. That's the way it operates. The law demands goodness, but we're not good. So sin brings guilt, and then God gives grace. Now, even though if you were here last week in chapter 6, we found out that a Christian is dead to sin. We we learned that last week. In chapter 7, we're now reminded, you may be dead to sin, but Paul says, I've got news for you, and I see it every day in my life. Sin is not dead to the Christian. So the solution is not trying harder. The solution is not a New Year's resolution the solution is not bare-knuckled resolved. The solution is not, I'll just give it another shot. I'll just, I'll just really, I'm going to give it 100% effort now. I'm really going to try to overcome this thing. Paul says, that's not the solution. Why not? Paul says, the reason why it's not the solution is you can't carry out the law because the problem is not you. The problem is the sin that lies within you. That is the problem. And then Paul perfectly sums up how we all feel when we're in the middle of living like he's talking about in verse 24. He says, what a wretched man I am. I'm so sick and tired of being spiritually schizophrenic. I'm so sick and tired of this civil war going in my heart. I am sick and tired of not doing what I know I ought to do and doing what I know I should not do. What a wretched man I am. Then he says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? You know what that word wretched is, uh, literally means? That word wretched indicates a person who has fought a long, long, hard battle and is just worn out. And what Paul is saying, and he is being as honest as any Bible writer has ever been. He's just being honest. And he told the Roman Christians, and he's telling us today, he said, look, I'm just going to make a confession. I am worn, slapped out in trying to win against sin. I, I'm, I, I don't have any energy left. I don't have any fight left. Because I've done it the way most people try to do it. Try harder, work longer, start over, trying to be good, trying to do good. And Paul says, I have finally found out, even as a Christian, my own personal best will never be good enough. My trying to keep the law won't get it. It won't get it before you become a believer. It won't get it after you become a believer. Because the law is not the way to be right with God and stay right with God. You say, man, what a doubter. Well, hang on. Helps on the way. We're just in scene two. Scene one, good news. I'm dead to the mastery of the law. Scene two, I still deal with the misery of sin. But scene three, good, best news. I'm delivered by the ministry of Jesus. I am delivered by the ministry of Jesus. Now, once again, Paul doesn't end on a down note. He ends on a high note. A matter of fact, the highest note. By the way, Paul asked the right question. He, uh, great question. He said, what a wretched mind I am. Who will rescue me? Who will deliver me? Not what will deliver me. He didn't ask, how can I deliver me? He said, who will deliver me? And then he gives this answer, verse 25, watch this. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you walked in here today, you're a believer. You know Jesus. You've been, quote unquote, born again. You have a relationship with God. You have repented of your sin. You've turned away from your sinful life. You have trusted Him as your Lord and Savior, but you're still battling. It may be one particular sin. It may be your temper. It may be bitterness. It may be pornography. It may be jealousy. It may be lust. It may be greed. But there's this one sin. You just can't seem to get over it. Paul says, Well, who will deliver you from that? And how are you going to get delivered? And here's the answer we've been saying it for six weeks, five or six weeks. The who is Jesus, and the how is grace. The who is Jesus, and the how is grace. Now, let me just say this. What's this now? Now I'm going to be a good doctor. I'm going to give you the prognosis, diagnosis, whole nine yards. You ready? I've just done an examination of you, and now I'm going to sit you down, and I say, okay, Richard or Mike or Shirley or Jordan or John or whoever, I've diagnosed the problem. Here's the problem. Let me tell you what's going on inside of you right now. There are actually two laws that work in you. One we've already talked about at length. There's the law of sin. We, we know that's going on. But there is another law that Paul introduces us to in the next chapter. So we go over to chapter 8 and verse 2 and we read this. Because through Christ Jesus... The law of the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, I'm getting you ready for next week, so just hang with me. There's a big shift that takes place between Romans 7 and Romans 8. Here's the clue. You go back and read Romans chapter 7. There are 25 verses in Romans chapter 7. Do you know how many times the Holy Spirit's mentioned in Romans chapter 7? One time. Go to Romans 8, 38 verses, 39 verses. Do you know how many times the Holy Spirit's mentioned in the 39 verses of Romans 8? 21 times. Two out of three times. You, every two out of three verses, you're reading about the Holy Spirit somehow Paul's trying to let us know you're not going to win this battle by yourself. You are not going to overcome this sin by yourself. You have proven it to yourself. How long have you been trying? How long have you been working? How long have you made a New Year's resolution? How long have you said, I'm going to whip this thing. How's that working out for you? You say, it's not. Paul says, you know what? (laughs) As the Beatles famously saying, you need help. You need help. And Paul said that help comes in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now why do we need the Spirit of God? Here's why. You cannot win the battle of sin. You. I don't care how much you love Jesus. I don't care how much you go to church. I don't care how much you read your Bible. I don't care how much you pray. I don't care how hard you try. I don't care how hard you spiritually work out. You cannot win the battle of sin. But the Spirit of God in you can win every time. The Spirit of God in you can win every time. Every single time. Paul says there's, there's these two laws going on, but you've got one law that's greater than another law. Now listen, let me tell you what, what, what Paul's been telling us now for now almost seven chapters. We've heard all of our life. You know the whole story. We, we started at Christmas, and then we tell the whole story the rest of the year, right? Christmas right through Easter. Christmas, Jesus was born of a virgin, son of God. And then we'll start talking about how Jesus lived a perfect life. And then we'll talk about on Good Friday, the burial, death, burial of Christ. And then on Easter Sunday, we talk about the resurrection. And we know all of that. We've heard it many times. Should never get tired of it. Greatest message in the world. Jesus Christ died for our sin. He was buried. On the third day, he was raised from the dead, right? We've heard it many, many times. But he didn't just do that and then just go back to heaven just so he could kind of watch us and encourage us, be a cheerleader from the sidelines and say, well, James, I sure hope you can live the Christian life, man. I'm pulling for you. You know, I died for you. I came back from the dead. I saved you from your sins, but you're kind of on your own. But I want you to know, man, I'm really cheering for you. I'm really pulling for you. He did not come to cheer for us. He came to deliver us. He didn't just come to give us victory over sin and death. He came to us to give victory in life. Listen, we think, well, I know why Jesus died for me. He died for me to prepare me for death. He also died for you to prepare you for life, to give you the power to be what you ought to be and to do what you ought to do. He did not come and die and come back from the dead and go back to heaven so we would continue to live in sin. He died and was buried and was raised to the dead and went back to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit that we might live in the Spirit. So the solution to the sin problem that we all have, it's not our goodness. It's God's grace. Now, let me just kind of wrap all this up. Whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, listen, I've already said this, but I'm going to repeat it one more time. Christian sin, non-Christian sin. Christians do wrong, non-Christians do wrong. Christians blow it, non-Christians blow it. So you say, okay, if that's true, what is the difference between a believer and an unbeliever? Here's the difference. The difference is in which side you take in the battle. I'm not just, i listen, I'm not just saying only believers want to do what's right. Unbelievers want to do what's right. I get that you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you say, don't shortchange me. I want to live a good life. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good dad. I want to try to watch what I say. I want to watch my, I want to do this. I mean, I'm, I kind of, I, I, but, but you, got, you're, you got the same problem, right? Yeah, I, I really do have the same problem. Well, whether you realize it or not, we're not on the same side. And let me tell you why. A believer wants to take God's side against sin and an unbeliever wants to take sin's side against God. So, in chapter eight, as we're going to get into next week, we're going to learn how to take God's side. We're going to learn how to live in the spirit. We're going to learn how to walk with God. We're going to live how to live in continuous victory over sin. So I want to be very practical now. I've given you kind of this deep theological lesson. Now let's get real practical. So, so here we are, you know, what, what have we learned in this series, you know, so far We've learned that, that whatever your particular sin or sins or your addiction may be, whatever trap you may seem to be, you know, just, you just can't get out of it. We're learning all through these chapters, yes, you can get out of it. You can tell sin to back off. You can, can tell sin to back down. Your sinful nature doesn't have to have the last say. So let me just give you three practical steps that I want you to take. In fact, here's what I'd like to ask you to do. I want every one of you to be honest with yourself. You don't even have to tell your wife or your, or your husband what, I'm, what you're about to do, okay? You don't have to tell anybody. You just keep between you and God, that's fine. I want you, maybe even in your mind right now, I want you to think about what's the one sin that just keeps whipping your tail? What's the one thing in your life that's just absolutely got you and it will not let you go? And it's different for everybody, it may be pornography It may be lust, it may be greed, it may be bitterness over somebody that hurt you a long time ago, it may be your temper, it may be anger, it may be drugs, it may be alcohol, I don't know what it is. But I want you to think about that one thing, and you know you struggle with it. Maybe you're the only one that knows it, but you know you struggle with it. I want you to take three steps. This beginning, this step, just try it just for this week. Number one, I want you to talk. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I want you to talk to that sin as if that sin were standing right in front of you, as if that sin was a real person. And I'll tell you, because it is real. And I want you to tell sin, you've got no place in my life, none. I am dead to the law and I am dead to you. You may not be dead to me, but I am dead to you. You know what? You've got no power over a dead person. So I want you to talk to that sin. I mean, that sin's talking to you all the time, right? Sin's telling you, do it, go ahead. You can't whip me. You know you're fighting a loser. He's talking to you. Well, talk back. Number two, trust. Trust. You ask at the greatest moment of your temptation, when you're tempted to fall follow that same trap, at the greatest moment, you ask the Lord Jesus to give you strength for the battle that you're facing. You ask the Lord Jesus to give you victory over the sin that's tempting you. Let me tell you why this is such a big deal. You cannot, this is impossible. You cannot be in communication and in communion with Jesus and sin at the same time. Can't do it. So you talk, you trust, and then you take. You take God at his word that he can give you victory. And and you take by faith, you're filled with the Holy Spirit that you can win that battle. And then this is important. You take whatever action you need to take. If, if, If it means getting outside help. If it means going to a clinic, if it means calling up a buddy of yours and saying, would you be my accountability partner? I need help. I need to get a guard on my computer. I need need you to know I'm addicted to pornography or whatever it may be. I'm I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I need you to be my accountability partner. I need you to walk alongside of me and carry this burden with me because I am determined by the grace of God, I am going to overcome this sin. So you talk and you trust and you take I know some of you say, well, that sounds like, you know, kind of good self-help talk. And thanks, Dr. Phil, for that piece of advice. Well, I'm going to prove to you that it works. I'm going to prove this to you. Remember I told you there are two laws within you, right? There's the law of sin and death. And there's the law of the spirit of life. I promise you, the law of sin and death is no match for the law of the spirit and life. And we really see it every single day. You ready? There's a law called gravity. And that law is unremitting and unrelenting. That law says what goes up what must come down. That's what the law of gravity says. What goes up must come down. That's the law of gravity. There's another law called the law of aerodynamics. And... That law says with enough speed and enough thrust and enough lift, you can overcome the law of gravity. Now, you don't even know this. You don't even realize it. Every time you get on an airplane, there are two laws fighting each other. Gravity says you can't do this. The law of aerodynamics says watch me. The law of gravity says you can't get up the law of aerodynamics says, I'm gone. Now, guess which one wins? How many of you have ever flown in an airplane at least one time? Really? And you're still here. So the answer is, the law of aerodynamics overcomes the law of gravity. Now, this is important. Does the law of aerodynamics get rid of the law of gravity? No, it's still real. It's still there. But the law of of, of aerodynamics overcomes it. Sin is real. It's a real deal. And there's a law of sin living in you. There's a sinful nature living in you. It's real. No need to deny it. But there's the law of the Holy Spirit. And there's the law of life in Jesus. And what I'm telling you is this. Yes, the law of sin is still real, but the law of grace is also real, and it can overcome the law of sin through the thrust of the Holy Spirit that can lift you higher than any sin that stands before you. Any sin. That, listen. Don't shortchange God. Don't shortchange Jesus. Don't shortchange the Holy Spirit that lives in you. That's what real grace is all about. You can lay down the law and you can tell sin to take a hike. And you can be everything that God wants you to be and do everything that God wants you to do. But it's only by his what? Grace. Let's pray together. With his bowed, with eyes.